listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I am your friendly neighborhood sexologist, Jessica O'Reilly, and I am joined today by the Brandon Ware. I'm here in the flesh. Back by popular demand because I received many complaints that Brandon missed a few podcasts. Where were you, babe? I don't know. I'm probably working, but I'd definitely like to shout out to all the people that did say that they missed me. Feel makes me feel special. You mean your mom? <laughs> My mom probably wouldn't have said that. <laughs> and she doesn't listen to the podcast. Nope. You hope. Well, if she does, then now she knows all sorts of weird stuff that she probably didn't care to know about. She knows all about your anal preferences. I didn't remember talking about that. We're totally getting off topic here. We're joined today by Lauren and Richard of the Room 77 podcast and touched by Eleanor. We are down here at Desire Resorts. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you. Hi, I need to get back into the episode where you talked about anal play with you, Brandon, because I don't, I don't remember that. I don't remember it either. I remember <laughs> listening to it, but I don't remember uh, participating in it. So who knows? There was a, if you go back in one of the podcasts when we were talking about anal, there was a really awkward moment where I was talking about something I did to Brandon's anus and Brandon was like, no, you didn't. And I was like, yes, I did. And it sounded like I was lying. And then we, after off air, I was like, babe, do you not remember? And I kind of went into the detail. Yeah, sometimes I don't remember things. <laughs> it's better than wasn't me, I guess. <laughs> very or, true. Or, very true. Or blocking it out. Yes. Apparently, it wasn't very good. Uh, so we're actually down here at Desire this week. Brandon and I are hosting some workshops, and Lauren and Richard host workshops. So Lauren and Richard are from the States. Yes. They quit their jobs, sold everything to move to Mexico great business plan i know <laughs> it was carefully written out before you <laughs> sold everything right it's yeah. what every mom and dad want their child to do yeah <laughs> well then we're gonna get to this next piece which is i was reading your bio i see that you teach workshops down here at desire but you have touched over six thousand people yeah yeah I mean, the hearts? Have you touched the hearts I don't know. of over 6,000 people? Po Tell me what that means. Possibly. I don't know. Um, one of the things that we, when we started doing this, we wanted to really make sure that we got involved with the people. So we went around and we, in the beginning of our particular workshop, we massage everyone. So one of the first things that we said to one another was, we are going to touch everyone, physically, literally touch them. Um, and it, it really opened up a whole different world because, especially down here at Desire, there are people that are just dipping their toes into the world of swinging or they're living in a gray area or they, they don't quite know what their reaction would be. And we tapped into this perfect little sort of gray area yeah. where people get really, really touched by it in, in more ways than just being physically touched, right? Yeah, it's like the perfect amount of stimulation where it's, it's, everything is still right, but it's just a little bit wrong. 
Yes. You know what I mean? So we tell everybody beforehand, we're like, we, we do this in a very respectful way. We, but kind of pervy. So we, <laughs> at least you're honest. Yeah. I mean, we, we tell them and we, we ask everyone beforehand, we say, is it okay to touch? But when we go to each bed, we say, is it okay to touch? And they can either say yes or no. That was going to be one of my questions because let's, let's be honest. Consent is huge. It, I mean, it's at the forefront of everyone's mind. So coming down here and thinking about partaking or participating in one of your classes, like I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's what you asked, but that was going to be one of my questions. So here's a question. What happens when somebody says, no, I'm not comfortable with you touching? I mean, obviously you respect their wishes, but you just move on to the next person. Lauren goes to therapy most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You cry. Just a little bit. Yeah. No, we or no a lot. There's two sides of this. There is a, a there is a tiny hint of uh, why, and th the reasons are always different. One guy was a germaphobe, and he just didn't want anybody near him, and he apologized afterwards. But the truth is, it saves us time, so we we can spend more time with with other people. So we're I mean we're fine with it. We'll just spend more time with other people, but. Um, I have to say, I don't know. I'm not really good at math. You yeah, know that. I know. Would you say 99% of the people say yes? I would say like 90, yeah, 96.7. 98.6. No. Nine, that's, you have that's touched 6,000 people. That's so a temperature, you've got a Richard. reasonable sample size. Okay, so the, the whole workshop, when we say touch people, we don't mean in their private parts. We, It's about... Um, sort of slowing everything down and, and introducing sensual touch. So we do the front and the back. And each time we do two passes around the room. So we'll touch their back and then we touch their front. But the important part of touch in our workshop is to, when we're worshiping the woman, I go in and I, and I kind of intertwine with the man. I'll intertwine my fingers and I guide him to sort of just slow it down and and really kind of feel my energy going through him to go, oh. And people will say that to us after class. They'll be like, oh, I get, I got it. I didn't know. And then we flip and then they, we touch them again. But that doesn't count in the 6,000. That's just, that would be 12. <laughs> but that makes so much sense to me when I think about teaching people how to touch. What better way than to take them by the hand. Like you think about the golf coach, it's all in the hips, it's all in the hips and they're standing behind you and we act like it's pervy, but it's really just that we're a little bit of a touch phobic society. So so you guys are swingers, you identify as swingers. Yes. Tell me your story. How long have you been together? How did you stumble into swinging? Was it purposeful? So we've been together almost 16 years and literally I, knew before I met him, but I had never really reeled any of my boyfriends in. So I was a very unsuccessful mental swinger. And so I threw out a question literally on our very first date. And I knew by the way that he was going to answer that question, whether he was a swinger or not. We were just talking one night and she said, uh, so uh, what have you done sexually? And I just, I looked her dead in the eye and I went, everything stuff everything and she looked at me she sort of stared and nodded and she she responded with that's hot that's so hot and that, was, that is so that's so hot that's you know what, what i, I love said. though about 
that initial question is what just what you talk about all the time is this idea that why are you waiting two, three, four, five years to get into a relationship when monogamy isn't at the forefront of your mind. It's not necessarily what you want. I'm not saying that in that particular moment you decided that you want, Lauren, that you wanted to be a swinger or that you wanted to open your relationship, but you were just open to the idea of it. And rather than waiting for years to then surprise, <laughs> it, it's, it's like, why not kind of cut to the chase from the beginning and lay out some of what works for you. So you, you're being honest in this relationship from day one, which I think is fantastic. Oh, thanks. Whether it was about, you know, poly or this or that, like I wasn't, I didn't care about labels. I just wanted to like, let's have fun. Like I want to be dirty. But dirty could also be something hot because people actually have criticized me for using the word dirty talk, but I mean dirty in such a lovely way. Right. I yeah. mean, I like things that maybe are socially dirty, but to me, they're hot. But I want to hear this since you guys are so dirty. I just, What's like the wildest thing you've done together? That's a tough question because we've done a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Um, since you got the, to Mexico. No. <laughs> that was that was. That was in yeah, that was. Yeah. No. Uh, the thing with us is, is and I, we, I don't think we've ever broadcasted this on our podcast, but. One of our biggest turn-ons, this is strange, is <laughs> the more we don't know the couple, the more it is uh, spontaneous. Like, we don't know your names. We don't have to talk to you. We can just walk by and look at each other and wind up in a naked, tangled mess. We're good. It's, it's hard because I guess dirty is very subjective. So yeah. it's, a, it's a hard thing to say, like maybe something that is um, based on knowing somebody and, and courting and or is it you know sexual preferences or is it a bigger group it, I don't well, know but we what you're describing to me just kind of locking eyes and then getting into that human multiple bag of pretzels sounds like cruising in the gay community and I'm not suggesting that that's how all gay men operate I want to be really clear of course like there is a huge amount of diversity in the way all people hook up. So I don't want to reinforce the stereotype that gay guys just look at each other and have sex. Of course, many gay men have loving long-term relationships and are not uh, non-monogamous. Many of them are monogamous. But the cruising thing has always been such a turn-on to me. We cruise day and night here. So it, it's funny because so often swinger couples will talk about the fact that it's about the connection and it's about the friendship. And I, and I, I think that's very true for many people. But I also think that this comes from a little bit of a sex phobic belief that it's more meaningful. It, bullshit. If yeah. there's we friendship. We call bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we call bullshit. First of all, for us, the more we get to know you, your stock keeps going down. <laughs> I mean, it literally from the moment we meet you. He's looking me right in the eye when he says this. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, for anyone. Because when they say things like, let's have dinner tonight, let's have some drinks, and we're out, we're done. It just. So you must clearly have different groups of friends. <laughs> Your friends that you're hanging with that you want to get to know, that you want to spend time with. And then, like you said, when you just want to hook up with somebody, you're, you're like, I don't really care to have the meaningful discussion. I just want to get down. Yeah, kind of. So it's interesting. So I want to give people some context um, because I often talk about desire being a really safe place to go. Oh, and that yeah. you, that you, Shut no, up. no, this is fine. I think it's really good that you know that 
it runs the gamut here. So like Brandon and I, for instance, don't really don't play at all, but we still love coming kind of for the energy. I want to just remind people that whatever you're into, you can find. So if you just want to come to be a voyeur, if you just want to come for the naked swimming, because there are plenty of people here who just kind of like the environment, but don't really do the sex thing. And I know this, and you must find this in your workshops, because people are always afraid of what my workshop might entail. So they'll come and ask me, and I'm like, no, you can just come and sit with your partner, right? You don't have to do anything. So how do you differentiate then when you're in a space, whether it's a place like Desire or even a sex club, because there are vanilla people here, yes. right? I mean, we're not. Nobody's really vanilla. <laughs> There's vanilla well, with is, sprinkles. We did a whole episode on. We we really believe that the word lifestyle should be a spectrum of, from being voyeur or even just being here, all the way to full swap. Because the swinger word or the lifestyle word sort of has this connotation of, hi, you're a swinger. I'm a swinger. All right, I'm gonna have sex with her. You're gonna. And it's not always like that. There's there's so many things in between that we would love to be able to t- make the word lifestyle mean that we like being involved in a sexually charged atmosphere. That should that's what lifestyle should mean, not necessarily full swap, soft swap, voyeur. Yeah, I, I think that's it's interesting. First of all, a lot of young people would never use the word swinger. So even if they are full swapping or soft swapping, uh, and just for people who perhaps haven't, aren't familiar with the language, so full swap usually refers to having intercourse with the other partner's partner. Right. <laughs> and then and then soft swap might entail having sex next to them or oral. Yeah. I mean, and again, you know, people, I'll probably get a tweet with someone telling me that's not right. Listen, you define it however you define it. It's not like it's not in the Oxford Dictionary yet. So chill out. <laughs> but I will say that I don't think a lot of people want to necessarily identify with with the, with the term lifestyle or swinger sorry because i think it immediately goes to this this premise that well you're a swinger and i'm a swinger so that means that we're automatically going to have sex with one another and again that's that's a phobia that's just like homophobia like oh it's a gay dude guess what gay dudes don't want to have sex with all dudes yeah <laughs> that's certainly that that gentleman there may not be attracted to you at all <laughs> oh it's yeah it's uh, one of my you, you hit on two wonderful pet peeves of mine I get annoyed by a lot of stuff, but uh, <laughs> you first, Brandon. What did uh, I do to annoy you? Nothing. <laughs> what you brought something up, and one of the things that we run it. I mean, we're here. We're at this resort or the other resort four times a week. Oh, wow. Four. T- I mean, we live this day and night. So we and we come. We don't have a following like you, so we have to market in the pool. We come and we talk to people. We talk about our workshop, and they 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 come. Otherwise, they'd be too afraid. Uh, like you're talking about. I don't know what it means. Is it a giant orgy? No, it's not. But we talk to people all the time when we're getting to know them. And we, we say, or they say, they say, we're not in the lifestyle. We say, oh, okay. We keep talking to them. And then 10 minutes later, they're like, so we were, I was, well, I was blowing this other guy last night. Her husband, and I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa. I thought you said you weren't in the lifestyle. And they're like, well, we don't, no, we don't full, I mean, we're not really in the lifestyle. So there's this thing where they don't want to put that label on themselves uh and it's 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 so strange to us i i think well first of all there's a stigma and then i also think the second thing is that the word lifestyle denotes identity and lifestyle so yes. let's say for example you know once a year 
you get a little wild in a hot tub. So you don't see it as a part of your identity. It's something that you're open to, but it's something that you don't do all the time. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think it, it kind of calls to mind bisexuality to me, where people are like, well, you have a male partner, therefore how can you be bi? Right? Do I have to constantly be having sex with men and women in order to prove my bi-ness to you? So I think that even within ourselves, we're, we're sort of like, first of all, I think younger folks are not as comfortable with labels to begin with like the language itself. And the language of swinging sounds super outdated um, to a lot of people. And it's not that there's anything wrong with it. I just know that that's like, it's the same thing. I'll talk to people and they would reject the word swingers, but they do have sex with other people. Uh, So the language is tough, but also there's a stigma of identifying, right? Maybe we don't want it to be a part of our identity, even though it's something we do. Yeah. I was just going to say, and we had this conversation actually recently, was um, when you're identifying as a sexual, homosexual, bisexual, whatever, that's part of something that is more of your identity. It's it's not a choice. It's not a lifestyle. Right. And we feel that swinging or the lifestyle is a lifestyle. It's mm-hmm. like I'm, I boat. I'm a <laughs> boater. Yeah, but here there's, there's so many different types of people here. It's one of the things that we love about desire is first of all i'd say depending on the week 50 percent or it's either 50 50 lifestyle not lifestyle or 40 60 it it sort of varies back and forth there is sometimes a gray area in between there where where they say we're not but they actually are Mm -hmm. but there's so many diverse uh things that exist here whether it is voyeur whether we did a whole thing on um uh just masturbation we don't understand why mutual masturbation isn't a more popular thing it's really intimidating for people it's so funny people will have orgies they will swing from chandeliers they will do all sorts of thing but they're things but because masturbation i think is something you traditionally do privately but also something that you may associate with shame from growing up it's this thing you have to hide you have to sneak you have to run the water you have to steal a banana peel to finish in you're doing it as fast as you can i think that there is a really strong connection between masturbation and shame that a lot of us struggle to let go of i want to go back i i do want to go back to what you guys do and how you do it. I know Room 77 is your podcast. Uh, I'm curious as to kind of how that got started, but I have a real question. What do you do when um, there is somebody that you don't, that like, that you don't want to touch? Have you ever come across that where there's somebody where, like, let's be honest, you're like, I just don't want to touch you. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is, and Lauren would answer this different differently than I would, but, um, for the first, I guess, six months or so, it was, it was strange because if anybody, if anybody looks you in the eye and says, I don't care about anything physical, it doesn't matter to me, uh, I just, it, it's all crap because people have just human reactions to stuff. And a lot of the stuff that we, that we do is based on, we, we want to strip away all of the bull we we like to come at everything just the way it is we don't like to attach a gimmick to it we don't want to sway people in a way that makes them think that we're all about energy and tantra because it's not what we do what we want people to have is an experience so in line with that we would say yeah it's it's sometimes we are not necessarily attracted to the people however 
changed over six months or so. And what happened was it became, it really did become about the energy of a person. Now, the sweat, I do not enjoy. Well, I'm only, the only reason I'm asking is because the reality is, is that you're going to, 6,000 people that you've touched, there are going to be people certain days where you're kind of like, I'm just not in the mood to touch you. And even if it's not a sexual thing, it's just, I don't want to touch you. So we don't do the class from a perspective of a swinger. We don't, we don't touch people from a, I'm attracted to you way. We're touching to to sort of give the gift of touch. It's not, it has nothing to really do with me. It has nothing to do with him, nor my attraction to that person. Now, underlying that, sometimes it happens, right? I do different things in my head where I make up stories or, you know, whatever. But the underlying thing for the the whole sort of uh, art of touch is to, to, give something to the two of them to take away. And there have been people all different sizes, all different ethnicities, hardness, softness, everything. And when you are giving something, passing it forward like that, people are crying, they're connecting, they're doing these things that, you know, when they come out, I've, um, I grew up in a touch-deprived home. You've really changed something. Thank you. It's just different for me. And I wouldn't say my home was touch-deprived, but it wasn't full of affectionate touch. Uh, and our, like, I realize how cult- our culture is, is touch-phobic. We are lacking touch. People are afraid to touch each other. In, in other parts of the world, you're forced just by lack of space to be closer to one another. Right? Our personal space over here in the West, I think, is three times what it is in the East, our expectation. Yeah, you have to be crammed onto a crowded tram. Like, we think we're crowded in a New York subway or a Toronto subway. And they're pu- literally pushing them into the subway in, in parts of Asia. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it doesn't go the other way. I would say when, we, when it can, I can look at someone and maybe on, on, on a level of, are they supposed to be a, attractive in society? No that's that's not what a person would think of. But when we lay down with them, we do get turned on. If they are having a sexually, if they're getting sexually, uh, a sexual rise out of it, then we get, we also get turned on. We tell them that, you know, we, we enjoy what we do. It's only going to be as fun as you want it to be. It's, 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 it's really trying to push your boundaries in a very respectable way where you can concentrate and feel relaxed and, get turned on we're here to turn you on today right and so when it comes to touch what's something that our listeners can do differently to to make touch more relevant or more meaningful in their lives I think that it's just something that you um you literally have to give un- unconditionally like I I always I hate to use the word unconditionally because we do love conditionally, unfortunately. It's, um, but I think to, to give selflessly. And so I, there are times in the workshop where I tell the givers to um, not think about one second before where you're going to touch next. Is she enjoying it? Or, or is he enjoying it? But to watch her, watch her responding to your touch 
and adjust. So you're constantly out of your own head. You're watching her respond to your touch and you're adjusting in every single way. And that's really a selfless sort of way to give touch. Not like I'm going to give you a massage and that counts. It's just about communicating that love. I, I want to go back someplace else to mutual masturbation. Can All we right. do that? <laughs> Let, yes. Okay. Tell me, what's the appeal? What do you do? What can people take away from this? Because I think you're right that people are really afraid of mutual masturbation and public consensual masturbation. When you look at sex parties, you rarely see it. And if you do see it, it's oftentimes someone who's doing it in a way that is making other people uncomfortable. It's such a turn on because no one can please us the way we please ourselves. And it's such an incredible turn on to watch your partner just pleasing themselves. And, and it's, it's just an, an incredible thing. And I don't know why there is such a taboo on it. I don't understand. It's just communication. A lot of people are afraid to communicate. We see that in the workshops all the time. It's like, tell your partner if you're enjoying it. Let move your hips. Let them moan out. Say faster, slower. But so we did like, a we did a survey. We asked people uh, on our podcast. We said, if you saw a woman lying in that chair and she was alone, she gently started to play with her clit. What would your reaction be? And every guy was like, be hot, be really hot. And we said. What if you saw a guy start to play with himself? And they were like, it's disgusting. I wouldn't, I don't, I don't want to see it. Hmm. So it was really odd. It was, it was, it was sort of like, I don't know why, but there's a lot of, there's, there's obviously the homophobia. Yeah, I was going to say there's some deep rooted stuff there. And I think women are afraid to masturbate in front of their partners because we don't tend to masturbate in a way that looks like it doesn't porn, right? Um, like the, the way I get off, for instance, is not something that I think people would find particularly visually appealing. Now, I think anyone who really likes sex would find it visually appealing because it's genuine, mm. right? I really like it. But I don't, it's not, you know, like in porn, they're always sticking a banana in there or they're shoving their fingers in there or, and they're screaming and they're arching their back. And masturbation is something that's just for me. I don't have to worry about how I look. I don't have to worry about how I sound. What, Brandon? <laughs> All these things go through my mind. You're like, banana, screaming, arching, moaning. I'm like, so that's me getting off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, porn is so ridiculous uh, to use as a, as a training tool. I guess mm -hmm. um, it's it's it really warps a lot of minds all the way from ma male penis size to how a woman should orgasm, how she should sound when she orgasms. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, people equate desire uh, when they get here that, that are new. They come in with that that mentality of they connect porn to this sort of world here. And it, it very, very quickly they realize, oh, it's it's not they they are two completely different things right yeah no it's it's true porn is entertaining and it can be a turn on but it's it's not necessarily an educational model but in the absence of ever having seen real live sex like you've seen real live sex we've all seen real live sex and i encourage all of you listening to if you have the opportunity not to get binoculars to do it with consent and go to a place where you can see real live sex because even though many of those people will be emulating what they see in porn, many of them will not because it's just a genuine experience. And to, to me, and we always tell people, do what you like and your partner will like that. Stop trying to do what you think your partner wants you to do. Just yeah. communicate with your partner. Yeah. They're your partner. There's nothing to be afraid of. Just be like, I like this, babe. Ah. 
Right, and then that's where, you know, compatibility comes into play because if your partner is judging you for your desires, that's a really serious compatibility issue. If they like something different, that's no big deal, right? If I want to be tied up and hung from the edge of the pier, have my feet nipped at by fish while Brandon, I don't know, hangs off the side and he just wants romance and rose petals in the room, we can make that work. But if he judges me for my fish foot nipping fantasy, Mm -hmm. that's when we run into problems, babe. We'd have to communicate a little. (laughs) Oh, you didn't know that's what I like? I didn't know that was your jam. (laughs) (laughs) So in in terms of takeaway, do you have any advice on this mutual masturbation? Because I think it's a great thing for people to consider, to talk about, to try. Uh, and obviously, yes, they have to communicate about it. But do you think maybe even just starting in the dark would be a good idea? Like, what are some baby steps here? Well, I'm lucky because I have a wife who loves to watch me masturbate. She loves to watch it. So that's sort of okay for me. And I'd love to watch her. My advice would probably be, I, I don't know if, in, I guess in the dark might be good. But watching for me is a huge journal. I think guys are really visual. So it's it's very... It's very sexy to me. Um, I think you learn a lot by watching your partner touch themselves. One of the, one of the problems we have being here all the time is, um, oh, you guys are the experts. So you roll around with us. You guys must be mind-blowing. And we are mediocre at best lays. Mediocre at best. We suck in bed. Uh, so it's this expectation. Is that something? Well, you don't you have like sex with strangers, or <laughs> you're like I'm a three out of ten. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I think people's assumption is that your sex life is going to be insane. Insane. And I've been pretty open and honest with people in communicating. Like there are times when things are great, and there are times when it's not great. And you, Jess, you've said to me before, if the expectation is always that it's a ten every time, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, um, so I can only ever deliver a six. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you ever go into it where you're like, well, I hope this is, you know, I hope it's a six, you know, a solid, four. you know, I'm, you know, put in a four effort, hoping for a seven. But I think people's expectation is that, well, you guys talk about sex and relationships. So your sex life must lives must be incredible. And like everybody else, it's like, no, they're not. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're great. But I think the willingness to have the discussions to kind of explore new boundaries, even if you're not part, you know, participating with somebody else, makes your sex life better, right? Like you have. I, yeah, I'd be really fearful though. Like being with a new, if I was with a new guy, I think the expectation. I've written how many books on blowjobs, and then they'd be like, "Wow, that was like." fine but why'd you have to bite the head oh i thought you wanted page 67 man i thought you asked for the move yeah i I would feel so much pressure in fact i feel pressure with brandon um you know that i'm teaching all these things and i'm talking about all these things and i'm sharing all these perspectives and i don't always bring it all home like you know i can go to a, a weekend that's all about sex and then come home on monday and the last thing i want is sex it's not that i don't want to connect with him and it's not that you know if if he helps to put me in the mood i'm probably gonna do it like you know i'm gonna do it but I, I do think that there's a lot of pressure when you're either seen as an expert or if you talk about sex a lot. Yeah. How, well, how do you make that healthy? What would your what would a healthy recommend, recommendation be? Well, it's interesting for me. This isn't about what I recommend. I'll tell you what I do. I am a little more submissive. I've found since I've gone into this field, I've learned to be more of a taker. 
and learn to like kind of give directions or ask for directions. Uh, but I, I think that you, you, you're going to ruin your sex life if you put pressure on yourself to be amazing all the time. So I, I say this all the time that I think we can revolution, revolutionize our sex lives by being a little more selfish because we've all become performers, right? We're always trying to give, to blow his mind or blow her mind. And I think that if you're in the moment and you're present and you're mindful of what's happening, you're not worried about those things. So I think that just a little bit of mindfulness practice goes a long way. Yeah, I believe, we we both firmly believe that selfish lovers are the best lovers. They just are because they're, they are getting so much out of it and it comes right back around and starts turning you on when you're, you're, the person that you're with is getting so much out of it. And we've come to a point in our life, we, from rubbing 6,000 people and watching <laughs> 6,000 people uh, have sex in a room, you know, we know that there are people that, especially women who orgasm seven times in a session or seven times a year or never in mm -hmm. a year. And it's a, it, it's sad for a lot of women are afraid to admit that they, they have trouble reaching orgasm. Everybody's built differently. And one of the things that, um, hurts is like Lauren, this all started all this workshop stuff because she has trouble relaxing her mind and having an orgasm and being, a receiver. and being a receiver. She feels way easier just being a giver because it takes all the pressure off of her and she could just do. Uh, so relaxing and actually having an orgasm is, isn't the easiest thing in the world for her. And, um, that immediately creates a goal or she's like, Oh, I'm going to let him down again. And it sucks. So we've gone past that to the point of, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're just built differently. Just built. We have no expectation. Just have fun. Mm -hmm. It yeah. helps. It helped me a lot. Taking and, that pressure off. Yeah, sex for pleasure's sake, as opposed to for orgasm. And I, I think that's a that's a really important takeaway because you can love sex and not have an orgasm. And when people kind of make these universal statements like, "No, that's not true," I'm like, "For you, it's not true for you." I'm, I don't need to be guaranteed an orgasm. And actually, I find it really ir irritating if he expects an orgasm from That's me. That's what I feel like it's more, is is the guys don't feel like they're um, good enough or they've done a, a good deed unless they have seen an orgasm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they don't think I'm a, they're attractive unless I orgasm. And it put a lot of pressure. And it's come, I mean, this was way before I met. Richard. And now we understand that like your orgasm is your responsibility. It's not something somebody gives you. It's something that you allow to happen. And I, I think like your orgasm can't be something that validates your partner, especially in so much as like their masculine performance, right? Like, guess what? We don't have orgasms to make you feel good. We could really, at the moment of orgasm, give a crap about you. <laughs> and that's sort of, it seems like that maybe that's a porn thing too or something. Yeah, baby, come for me. I have this feeling that men love watching women squirt so much because they can associate it with a guy that they can watch. I did that mm -hmm. as opposed to a woman having an orgasm. It's like, did you, what was it a big one? Was it a good one? But seeing them squirt means I did it. Right. It's proof. 
Yes. Am I right? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I talk about that all the time because people love to talk about squirting. But I'm like, you don't get a prize for squirting farther than your friend. In fact, squirting can actually be annoying. Squirting can just mean more laundry for many of us. Like you might want to squirt at desire because someone else washes your sheets. But at home, it's like I'm on a schedule and the sheets aren't being washed until Wednesday. So some people love squirting. Some people hate squirting. And I hate this bragginess around squirting. Same thing around lubrication. Like sometimes when I'll we'll give out lube, people say, oh, I don't need lube. I'm like a faucet. Okay, good for you. It's it's not a badge of honor. That's why I just think, I think it's so good when there's people like you who are going out there and kind of getting the word out there because we don't, yeah. there is no, we do look at porn because we, there, you know, we don't have anywhere else to learn. Right. And so when it's coming from, you know, people who are young and relevant and talking about it in a way that's not so structured and and um sort of medical or something it's just it's so refreshing and and there's such a need for it yeah this is why so there are so many people in my field by the way like there are so many people doing amazing work to dismantle the myths around sexuality i mean i can shout out some of them that you should check out you should all check out well you were just down at sex down south and you said there were so many people yeah. Down at Six Down South, that were incredible. Check out Marla Renee Student, uh, Marla Renee Stewart. Check out Honestly Nay. I'll put all the links in the in the website as well. But we we do have to stop there. Lauren and Richard, people can find you on the Room Seventy Seven podcast. Yep. Uh, so everybody, check them out. I want to just discuss a couple of takeaways um, from your story. Number one, talking about what you want from the from the onset is so important. If you know there's something that's a part of you, don't wait until you have so-called stability in the relation to bring it up. Bring it up from the get-go. And a lot of dating experts disagree with me, but if something is a part of you, like for instance, if you know you're not monogamous or you prefer to be not monogamous, say so from the onset. Don't hold it in. Um, I really like the fact that you brought up a different side of, of swinging, which is kind of this more raw, just about sex cruising, sex with strangers, because I think we try and legitimize swinging by saying, no, it's about friendship and connection. And if it is for you, that is totally cool. And for most of the swingers I talk to, it really is, but it doesn't have to be. And let's not try and take something that's already on the fringe, a lifestyle that is subversive and try and fit it into a monogamous mold of emotional or you know companionship connection because that then we're not really doing anything subversive like if you are more radical in the way you swing you do you like I I really really appreciate that because I've never had a couple talk about it in that way Um, and I like the that we should all be thinking about sexuality on the spectrum and so what I'm going to encourage everybody to do is think about if you have a partner would you mutually masturbate? Have you masturbated side by side? Have you masturbated as a performance for your partner? And it doesn't mean that you have to do this tonight. And I never want to add to the list of things people have to do. But I'd like you to at least think about it. What are the feelings that underlie your desire to do so? What are the feelings that hold you back? Because if it's holding you back from that, it's holding you back from other things as well. So I want you to just sit with that, think about mutual masturbation, talk to your partner about it when you're ready, and then you can break it down into the baby steps of maybe trying it in the dark or trying it when you're already turned on just for a couple of minutes. It doesn't have to be the main event until you can come down to a sex party like this and just masturbate right on your partner with a friend 
a couple of penis pullers on a beautiful bed, palm trees surrounding you. Uh, and again, I, I don't want to scare people off because that, that's not everything you see here. Like, for instance, I haven't even seen any live sex since we've been here. Oh, wait, that's not true. I have. <laughs> I, I haven't. Yeah, Brendan hasn't. He wasn't there. Uh, I was I was just hanging in there. That's another story. You just walked into the wrong room. Or... <laughs> the, yeah, the wrong there room. there was something going on there. But I, I want to thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Everybody check out the Room 77 podcast. I want to say thank you to Desire Resorts, not only for hosting us here, but for supporting this podcast, for creating a space where people can make what they want of it and be themselves. Check them out online at Desire Resorts on Twitter, but now it's at Desire Experience on Instagram. And check out my Instagram feed because I'm doing some live videos as well. Wherever you're at, have a great one. We will be back next Friday with a new episode. See you soon. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.